Hi, my name's Grant Fishbook, and I am honored to be the lead teaching pastor here at Christ the King Church in Bellingham, Washington. Thank you so much for choosing to access this online content today. We really hope you'll enjoy this message. One of our values here at Christ the King is biblical face-to-face -face community. And so while we are so excited that you joined us today online, I really want to encourage you. Make sure that this is never a placement for face-to-face -face biblical community. Your story matters, you matter, and we want to see you get connected in a local church. Now, if you're here in our area, we would love to have you join us at any one of our five campuses. But if you find yourself outside of the Bellingham area, we really want you to get connected into a local church. So we hope and pray that that happens for you very, very soon. wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. I never lose, I either win or learn. Nelson Mandela. Laziness means more work in the long run. C.S. Lewis. Every strike brings me closer to the next home run. Babe Ruth. If you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it well enough. Albert Einstein. Money cannot buy peace of mind. It cannot heal ruptured relationships or build meaning into a life that has none. Richard DeVos. Most folks are as happy as they make their mind up to be. Abraham Lincoln. Better to be criticized by a wise person than to be praised by a fool. Solomon of the Bible. Our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at things in life that simply don't matter. Francis Chan. Simple wisdom that can change your life. Comes in all different shapes and sizes. It even fits on a t-shirt. I saw some simple wisdom this past summer. A lady, a tired looking lady, was wearing a shirt that said, I'm a mom, everything is cardio. I saw another one. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger, except for bears. When they kill you, you're just dead. <laughs> just simple wisdom. It's profound, it's wise, it's humble, it's quiet, and it's life-changing. I think wisdom has a way of convicting us with its simplicity. I think we could all agree that we do a really good job as Americans of making life unbelievably complicated. We just love to push the limits, all the limits, all the time. We somehow arrogantly believe that the universe actually does somehow revolve around us, and so we live our lives at a volume level that's just off the chart, and we tend to miss out on the quiet simplicity of transformation that Jesus wants for all of us. Earlier this summer, Laurel and I, 
um, because of your generosity, got to step away from our normal way of life. And in doing that, we got really, really quiet. We took long walks. We looked back over the last 20 years at Christ the King Community Church, and then we looked forward into the years in front of us. And it was a little scary, a little refreshing. It was challenging. It was joyful. There was some laughter and some tears along the way, and it was just rich in a simple, life-giving sort of a way. And over the last couple of weeks, I've invited you to try and come into some of those moments as we have just stopped as a church and listened and, and asked the question, what happens to us when God says, stop? When He says, look. When He says, come to me. When He says, don't. And this week, we're going to add one more. Something that's been stirring around inside of my heart for the last couple of months. What, what would our response be when God says, simplify? Simplify. Over my sabbatical, I ran into three quietly convicting scriptures. I didn't know they were a big deal until I came back and tried to re-enter my unbelievably busy life. When I came back into my regular world, all of a sudden they started whispering in the back of my brain. They're all famous at some level if you've been hanging around the Bible for any length of time. The first one is spoken to a flustered hostess who just wanted to have an amazing dinner party for a guest by the name of Jesus, and she gets unbelievably frustrated with her sister because her sister decides to sit down on the job, and all she wants her to do is get in the kitchen and help her. And Jesus says to her, Martha, Martha. The Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. I wonder how many of us in the room, if we were honest, could be described by those simple words, you are worried and upset about many things. There's really two choices, right? Be worried and upset or choose what's better, go to Jesus, rest easy, and understand that for all of us, dinner can wait. Honestly, I don't like that Bible story. It drives me nuts. I'm a Martha. Get things done. Let's go. Move the agenda. Let's push it down. I wish all the Marys in the world would get their butts in gear and contribute to the cause. Like, let's go right now. I don't like this story because Jesus calls me to simplify. Another quietly convicting scripture, Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. I have read that verse so many times. I've always thought that the phrase, everything that hinders and the sin stuff was somehow one and the same, but if you read it, they're actually not. Apparently, there are more things in my life that need to go other than just sin. In fact, I could even argue the case that there may be some things that are actually really, really good things, but they may not be the best things. And so some of the good things have to go just so I can simply have some margin to respond when God calls me to be obedient. The writer of Hebrews says, throw off anything that hinders us. Modern translation, have a garage sale for anything that slows you or hinders you from chasing after Jesus with all speed and all stealth. Church, just a question. Have you ever thought about doing a garage sale with your soul? What if you cleaned house on that old grudge that you've been nursing for a really long time? What if you purged an arrogant attitude that just allows you to believe you're somehow better than everybody else in the room? 
What if you put a for sale sign on that act of forgiveness that you've been withholding in your soul for a decade? What if you marched your uncontrolled anger and your scathing tongue out to the street corner and stuck a free sign on it? Here's another quietly convicting scripture for me. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4, yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so your daily life may win the respect of outsiders so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Paul actually says, I want you as a follower of Jesus to lead a quiet life. Now, let's be careful, okay? Paul is not talking about toning down the volume when it comes to sharing your faith in Jesus. Can we be honest? Most of us in the room could do well to kick it up a few notches when it comes to talking about Jesus out there in the real world. Can somebody say amen? Amen. But that's not what they're talking about here. Paul's saying that that there's a certain way to live when the pressure of culture is pressing in on side of you. And Paul uses a powerful word. The word is quiet life. A quiet life. And if you unpack the meaning of that word quiet, it can also be translated this way. Uncluttered. Humble. Simple. So he says, you, you should make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. And then he says, you should mind your own business. That's all I have to say about that one. (laughs) But I'll say it again just for emphasis. You mind your own business. I thought someone would say amen for sure, but okay, we'll move on. And then he continues and says, work with your hands. I love that verse right there because Paul is making that statement to offend two groups of people. He's offending Greek philosophers who thought that manual labor was beneath them. They thought manual labor was slavish, and a good Greek philosopher would never think to stoop so low as to get their hands dirty. Paul was also offending the religious elite who were convinced that they were so heavenly-minded they didn't need to be any earthly good. They thought to themselves, if I am just convicted about heavenly affairs, why in the world would I ever have to break a holy sweat? To those in the room who may be thinking that getting your hands dirty is beneath you, I'd like to push you to a a story in Scripture where the king of the universe got on his hands and knees and washed the feet of his creation. I would also remind you, if you think that getting your hands dirty in this modern world is beneath you, I will remind you of a very troubling verse. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. I was so thrilled last weekend. I mean, I know it was a long weekend, but I was so thrilled last weekend because I saw pictures running across our screens of people from Christ the King Church picking beans at the farm. I saw pictures of people painting hallways and cleaning vans and fixing water fountains and organizing closets at the Boys and Girls Club. I was thrilled to hear a report that a group of broke young adults raised $55,000. Let me say that again. $55,000, and then they gave it all away. They just gave it away. They gave it away to people on the other side of the world who they'll never meet so that they could have clean drinking water. They took a chunk of it and gave it to the wonderful partners that we have at the En Refuge so they could have a van, so they could do life just a little bit 
easier. I love that this is a church that's not afraid to get our hands dirty. If you want to know why we do that, it's because we're trying to be just like Jesus. Paul adds another piece. Why would you do all of that? He summarizes, he goes, so that your daily life will win the respect of outsiders. Let me ask a question. When was the last time you considered that living a quiet, uncluttered, humble, and simple life was an incredible way to share Jesus with your neighbor? Can I tell you why that works so well? I'll tell you why it works. Because people who are unworried, paced, serving and joyful, they stand out in a culture that is stressed, rushing, self-centered, and angry. You want to stick out like a sore thumb? Be calm. See what happens. So let's just talk about it today. What might be God be saying to you today if He just asked you to live simply? What would have to change? Here's a few thoughts. When God says simplify, I believe He's actually calling us to a simple life. Not talking about cleaning out your garage, even though you should do that, and I did that this summer. I'm not talking about getting rid of social media, because it just clutters your brain, even though some of you should have done that yesterday, just saying, okay? I'm not talking about putting intentional white space in your calendar, even though you should, and even though I'm actually trying to do that right now. I'm not talking about buying a tidy house. I'm not talking about growing your own zucchini so you can make your own biofuel. Okay, I'm not talking about making a commitment to walk for a year so you don't need to have a car, even though those things are actually wise suggestions for some people. Now I'm talking about grabbing a hold of a simple command of Scripture in a simple act of obedience so that Jesus can simply be glorified in your life. Here's some beautiful Scripture. The Bible says to those who would call themselves followers of Jesus, 1 Timothy 6, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Do you see that last phrase there? So that you can have a life that's actually living and it's summed up in this, do good, be rich in good deeds, be generous and willing to share. How many of us would actually define life that way? I'm not sure that I would define it as doing good and sharing. I'm not sure I'd boil it down that simply. But what's amazing is if you think about it, that's the essence of loving your neighbor. Do you remember the conversation between Jesus and the young Pharisee who came asking questions about how we're supposed to do this? And Jesus said, well, it's actually pretty simple. Love God, love your neighbor. The Pharisee's not convinced, and so he pushes Jesus, and Jesus says, okay, I'll tell you a story about a guy who actually needed a neighbor, and the neighbor's the one who was right there, right in front of him, and he boiled it down to saying, it's as simple as doing good to the person next to you and embracing a lifestyle of good deeds and being willing to share, and I know that sounds unbelievably basic, but so does Scripture when it says, unless you become like a little child... You will not inherit the kingdom of God. My friends, can I tell you something? That's not childish, that's childlike. So some simple questions. What good could you do today? What's one single good deed you could do today to share Jesus with somebody who doesn't know them? What could you share? Could you share a meal? Could you share a listening ear? Could you share a word of hope? I mean, do you have any idea how countercultural that is in our modern world? To me, it just sounds like Jesus. Let's keep going. When God calls us to simplify, He actually calls us into simple conflict. I'll tell you something. As long as there are people in the world, there will be conflict. 
okay? Jesus was perfect, and he had conflict with demons and Pharisees. I'll let you figure out how those two are actually tied together. You can think about it and send me an email later on, okay? (laughs) Nothing wrong with conflict, but the truth is you can all handle conflict wrong. Because think about how do we usually handle conflict, right? The first thing we do is we declare ourselves to be right. I'm right, and you're wrong. Pastor Lim did a great job of unpacking this last weekend. And if you weren't here, you need to go back and listen, especially if you like Beyonce, Carrie Underwood, and Pete Carroll, because they all showed up in last week's message. It was pretty crazy, right? So we declare ourselves to be right. We send out an email. We rally a support group. We share the offense on Facebook. We drum up some more support. And then we settle in for a very dark, long night of the soul where I am right and they are wrong. And that's all I know. And Jesus, the king of the universe, shows up and says, "Um, here's my plan. Go to the person and make it right. You got a problem with somebody? Go to them and make it right. Matthew 18, the Bible says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. Okay, I can't say that verse without giving you some context, okay? Matthew 18 was written to followers of Jesus who belong in the same faith family, okay? That means when you have a problem, brother to brother, sister to sister, brother to sister, sister to brother, that's when you're supposed to go point out the fault just so they can be reconciled, not just to you, but also to Jesus. This is not permission for you to walk around your neighborhood and point out that sin and that sin and that sin and that sin. That will not go well for you and it will push the cause of Jesus backwards. Please don't, okay? This just simply says if, if there's an issue, you need to go. In fact, the word for point out their fault in Scripture, it's a life-saving term, It means you care so much about that other person that you can't stand to be sideways with them, so you initiate to make it right. And the Bible says you're supposed to go to them privately and quietly and just work it out. Jesus also says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, first go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. Here's a modern paraphrase. You're in the middle of church, you're worshiping Jesus, and the Holy Spirit comes and taps you on the shoulder and reminds you of a a moment when you wanted to be right more than you wanted to be reconciled. And the Bible says you're supposed to stop right there, go, be reconciled with your brother or sister, and then come back and pick up the worship service. So that means this, I will never be offended if the Holy Spirit of God convicts you in the middle of one of the messages and you have to stand up and say, hey Grant, sorry dude, got to step out, need to go and make something right with a brother or sister, I'll be back. I will cheer for you as you're walking out the door. Because that's just the biblical way to handle conflict. Go and make it right. No committees, no political posturing, just a simple, humble heart that wants peace more than power. How would we be different if we wanted peace more than power when it came to conflict? Let's keep going. When God calls us to simplify, He's actually calling us to simple finances. Okay? I am not talking about this point because the church needs money. Okay? Are we clear? 
It's not why I'm talking about this. I'm talking about this because this is a moment of obedience. And if we actually do finances the way God wants us to, it gives us time margin and it gives us monetary margin so we can actually respond to needs when they show up right in front of us. Jesus actually has an answer. If you want to keep the grip of greed from around your life, he has a simple plan for that. Give it away. Give it away. All the way through Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, God keeps unveiling an unbelievably simple financial plan. And if you've never heard it before, I'm just going to share it with you. Some of you have seen me do this before. You already know the punchline. Just stick with me. And the rest of you can hang in there, all right? So, this is God's unbelievably complex financial plan for everyone who calls themselves a follower of Jesus, okay? For every 10 of these that God gives you the strength to earn, you give one of them back to Him in an act of faith and trust. I lost like half of you because I know. (laughs) Super complicated, but I'll do it again for you, okay? All right, so... the same story all the way through. God says this, my one is bigger than your nine. When you're generous. For every one of us, we need to understand something. You can't earn anything on your own because it's God's brain and it's God's passion and it's God's creativity. It's God's breath in your lungs. If you're not breathing, you can't work. Amen. It's simple. We give back to God because it helps us to just simply embrace our full dependence on Jesus. Because the Bible says where their treasure is, there our heart's going to be too. Listen to some simple wisdom from the richest man who has ever existed on the face of the planet. Proverbs 11, one person gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. Let me make it as simple as I can. You can't outgive God. This is the one area in Scripture where the God of heaven says, test me, give me your best shot and see whether or not, if you're willing to do this simple plan, whether or not I will not pour out blessing on you that you don't even have barns big enough to contain. I'll share something else. God loves a cheerful giver, but he'll start with a grumpy one. So, (laughs) some of us just need to start. Because we talk a big game about loving Jesus. Let's start there. Let's keep going. When God calls us to live simply, He calls us to simple words. You know, words can carry the power of life and death. You say one word, you can inspire a dream or crush a dream all at the same time. The Bible says that this muscle in the middle of our mouth is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So we need to be so unbelievably careful. Years ago, some of you remember Sam Middlebrook, great big Texan that played Let Us in Worship for years here. Now the pastor at CTK Yakima. Sam's dad, Charlie, was a legendary pastor from Houston, Texas. Whenever Charlie came into town, I tried to grab coffee with him because he was, he was a legend in pastoral terms. And I remember asking Charlie one time, I said, Charlie, give me some wisdom that a young pastor needs. This is what he said to me. Grant, never miss a glorious opportunity to just shut up. 
Charlie got that from Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven. You are on earth. So let your words be few. Modern translation, I get to come to God as a son and I get to talk with God all I want to. But as I come to God, I should never ever forget my role. He is God and I am not Him. It's interesting, when you read the verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, we would think that the, the conclusion would be, I'm just not supposed to talk very much. Actually, it's interesting. The context of Ecclesiastes 5 is written to people who were on their way to church and didn't give a God a second thought until they walked in the door. I wonder how many of us could fit into that category this morning. I mean, how many of you woke up this morning thinking, oh, it's church. I'm going to go connect with Jesus. This is going to be absolutely fantastic. I have to go to the Word because the Word, like the Bible to me is like life and breath, so I got to get a little bite of it before I even get here. And when I walk in the door, I don't care what they do. It doesn't matter whether the worship is good or whether it's bad. I don't care if they're playing bongos or spoons. All I know is this. I'm going to have an opportunity to use the breath in my lungs to praise the name of Jesus, and then I'm going to listen because I know that God's going to give me something. I mean, how many of us came with that kind of anticipation? Some did. How about the rest of us? Were you thinking about Monday? Were you thinking about all the things that you should have done on Saturday that you're going to do this afternoon because you just have to get that to-do list done because that's really what is pushing you? I mean, it's just so unbelievable. It's interesting to me. I don't know about you, but I can't talk and listen at the same time. It's tough. God says maybe... Maybe we should push down into just a few simple words. Why? Because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What does this say about your heart? If the first thing out of your mouth are things that concern you instead of things that concern God. This fall, we're going to take this call very, very seriously. For seven weeks, I'm going to preach seven words. I think these seven words can transform our lives if we use them biblically. Here they are. Thanks, yes, no, enough, help, sorry, and ask. My Canadian almost came out with my sorry, but I, <laughs> I practiced so you would understand, okay? Seven words in seven weeks. Hope you'll come and hang out. One more. When God calls us to live simply, He's calling us to a simple message. We have a simple message at Christ the King Community Church, and that message will always be about Jesus. I'm not interested in preaching pop psychology, seven ways to a brighter smile, or six easy ways to get more happy. I actually saw that on the front of a magazine. Six ways to get more happy. Every English teacher in the world was dying looking at that. I said, what is that? They need to get an editor. That was bad. We're not going to preach that stuff because that can't change anything. But we are going to preach this consistently and simply. We will preach Jesus crucified, Jesus risen, Jesus coming again. Period. Because that's the only message that I know that can transform a human heart. 
We will preach 1 John 4.10 without apology and repetitively. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. We will preach that with as much passion as we can because that's the message that Whatcom County needs. So, before you go, as we get ready to wrap up, what are you going to need to release in order to live a quiet, uncluttered, humble, simple life? What needs to go? Does the sin in our life need to go? You bet it does. But for those of you that are in the room, there could be some really, really good things that are not the best things that God wants for you. And you may have to release some good things. Why? So that you can have some margin. Margin to be generous. Margin to stop, see a need, and actually meet it. Margin to actually pause and hear what God has to say before you even have a chance to open your mouth. Over the last months or so, I've been collecting some simple prayers, prayers that have allowed me, hopefully, just to keep my eyes on Jesus, to remove the distractions, and to keep my relationship with Him as simple as is possible. So today, in a moment, I'm going to invite you to pray with me. I'm going to talk to Jesus. I'm going to invite you to eavesdrop. And maybe this will resonate in your heart. Maybe it won't. But as I pray this prayer with us and over us, my prayer is that God will help us find Him in a more simple approach to life. And as I'm praying, the worship team is going to come back and join me. And once again, we're going to turn off the screens and we're going to turn the lights down and we're going to respond. Because you can hear this, but if you don't respond or do anything with it, then you just wasted 29 minutes of your life. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to sing, and then we're going to walk out into a very cluttered, loud world and attempt to live differently this week. So, for the sake of concentration, if you would bow your head and close your eyes with me, I'd love to pray this over us. Lord of true liberty and freedom. The God who commissioned Moses to lead your children from bondage in Egypt to the freedom of a new land. Would you help me to find a real freedom in simplicity? Show me the joys of a simple lifestyle so that I can have more time and energy to invest in relationships with those that I love, with myself and with you, my God. Help me by the example of your son Jesus to put my value in those things that moth and thief can't destroy or take from me. And as I strive for greater simplicity in my prayers, in my lifestyle, and in my desire, God help me to find greater happiness in life itself. Jesus, may my efforts at simplicity not cease as I look into my closet and count my clothes. But may they take on the greatest energy and zeal when looking into my heart and removing everything that's not in the fashion of your heart and that blocks me from loving others. 
May I be reminded frequently that whatever form my attempts at simplicity may take, that it's a simple heart that you want more than anything. So I ask this, God, through the intercession of your son, Jesus, who lives with you in the Holy Spirit, both now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for watching. We're so glad that you joined us today. Once again, we hope you'll get involved in biblical face-to-face community wherever you happen to be today. If you'd like more information about Christ the King Community Church, if you'd like to give online, or if you'd like to submit a prayer request, or even get connected in a small group, you can find out more about us at ctk.church.